0: That um, This is a section of the Old Testament that's called the historical books from Exodus all the way to Esther. And we're seeing how God is dealing with his people Israel in Second Chronicles, of course, is uh, an account of the kings of Judah. All the way from Solomon is we're going to begin Solomon taking the throne after the death of David. Clear to the time that they're going to go into captivity of Babylon. And we know that the prophets came on the scene and they would talk about and, and give prophecy about how they would come back into the land. But also there was prophecy that was given that was, uh, has not been fulfilled concerning God's dealing with the nation. And one of the things that we realize as we go through the Old Testament and as we talk about end time prophecy, one of the things that people ask me is, Pastor Jeff, how do we know that we're in the, the last days? How do we know that we're in the latter days? Well, we know that God made a promise that he'd bring them back into the land once again. And, and it talks about a time of, uh, of restoration. It talks about a time where they're going to follow the Lord holy, and it's going to be a time of, of peace and security. And every man's going to sit under his fig tree and every man be able to eat from his own vineyard. And it's talking about when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. So in that time, he will rule and reign over the earth. We're going to rule and reign with him. And also, there's going to be the restoration of Israel. And so God has promises for the nation that is yet to be fulfilled. And God would say that not only would they come back from one captivity, which they did uh, after the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity, but they would also come back after another captivity as well. And that is after the death of Jesus. Of course, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. The Jews were dispersed. And they were out of their homeland for 2,000 years. And you recall that Jesus gave a parable that he said that when you see the budding of the fig tree, you know that summer is very near. And when you see the fig tree bud, know that my coming is very close. In other words, the fig tree representing the nation of Israel, when you see it bud, Know that my coming is very, very near. So we can look at the prophecies concerning the nation of Israel, and we know that in 1948, as they were declared a nation, Isaiah, uh, at the end of his book, would say, can a nation um, you know, uh, be about in one day, come about in one day? And it did, literally, that Israel became a nation on not- May 14, 1948. And when that happened, then that started the end time clock. And we know that we are in the last days, and we can look at the events surrounding the second coming of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we need to always remember, and those of you who have been with us in our studies as we've gone through the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, and, and looked at the prophecies as we go through the scripture, and we will see some of those even as we go through this book, um, that uh, to uh, really pay attention to what's going on prophetically, you need to watch the nation of Israel. Because so much centers around and is focused on the nation of Israel. And so here is this little tiny nation that's going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations of the world. And it's going to be, uh, once again, as Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 9, that time of Daniel's 70th week, which is the tribulation period, where there is a focus, once again, on the nation of Israel to to complete their history. But we watch Israel because a lot of the events surrounding um, and telling us and pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ and telling us that we're in the last days concerns Israel. And one of those things is in Ezekiel chapter 38, and also Psalm 83. And those two texts, we've gone over and, and, um, and we've studied those things. But uh, we see the events today that are taking place, and we wonder, are, is this the prelude to Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38? Now, if you're new to Bible study or end-time prophecy, those texts are new. Um, it's talking about how there will be a major war in the Middle East uh, that will be in the last days. It's not the battle of Armageddon but it talks about how this confederation of nations, Psalm 83, those nations that surround the border of Israel, and then Ezekiel 38 that talks about uh, this alliance with Russia and Iran and some of those Islamic nations that will uh, invade Israel and God will defend Israel. Are we seeing some of the events that are taking place a prelude to that? We don't know the exact timing of it. But we do know this, just as we even sang tonight, that God's word will not fail. And every one of those prophecies concerning the last days will be fulfilled to the dot and every tittle of it. So we know that it's going to take place in the last days. Again, there's a debate on the exact timing. Is it going to happen before the tribulation period, after the tribulation period? And those of you who've been here at Calvary Chapel, you know that I believe that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period. I think that's what the scripture indicates to us. Jesus said that you be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return because I return in an hour that you do not know. And, and there are other promises that are there, and we see the 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 principle of imminent, you know, return of Jesus Christ that is throughout the scriptures. They will be looking for him. So I believe that we're going to be raptured before. Daniel's 70th week and um, so whether we will see Ezekiel 38 or not I don't know but it's interesting as we see the major players coming together aligning themselves and coming against Israel and one of the things that we saw uh, and heard about as we have um, seen and heard over the last couple years is you know, the threat of, of Iran, uh, Iran pursuing nuclear weapons. Uh, it's been in the headlines. We've read all the news about that, and it seems to be no stopping it. And you recall that last October that uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, that he went to the U.N and you know he drew a red line, he said, they cannot, Iran, cross this red line, or they'll be able to build a bomb, and, and there's no stopping them. And, of course, the president of Iran over the last few years during uh, his time as the president of Iran was talking about how Israel needs to be annihilated. Uh, The Holocaust never happened. Uh, We need to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. And so real threats that are there. And um, so they've been pursuing nuclear weapons. The West has been concerned. There's been sanctions and all of this that are going on. And we haven't heard a whole lot over the winter, have we, and over the spring? Well, it was interesting that um, I was listening to Benjamin Netanyahu talk to some of the media in America. And, you know, our media is concerned about, you know, what the latest movie star is wearing things like that and, and other things. But um, he said something that uh, was real interesting. He said, with all the problems going on in the Middle East, and there is a lot of upheaval, there's Syria There's prophecies concerning Syria in the last days that we won't go over. Uh, The civil war that has uh, killed 100,000 people. I mean, what a tragedy. And we know that the Assad regime has uh, used in limited amounts, and it's been confirmed by our own government and by Israel as well, chemical weapons. So that is uh, something that is escalating. Israel, of course, has made some military, um, you know, um, you know, bombing raids into Syria over the last couple months trying to keep uh, weapons from getting into hands of Hezbollah, which is in uh, southern Lebanon. And Hezbollah has threatened Israel that we got many missiles that we're going to lob at your city. So there's that escalation there. There's an the escalation in Egypt. Of course, uh, their president got ousted uh, just uh, earlier in the month. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? Well, what was interesting about what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was saying is that is is you know an important issue. So those things are, and it concerns us because here's Egypt and here's Syria. Who's right in the middle? Is Israel right? So they got that trouble on both borders. He said it's nothing compared to what we would see if Iran gets a bomb, and they're only weeks away. And once again, he brought up the urgency, and you can just hear it in his voice. And as he was talking to CBS this morning on Sunday morning to uh, one of the the, um, guys that was, you know, asking about it, he said the foremost issue and the greatest security threat that we have seen in, in a generation is happening right now. And Iran is continuing to pursue nuclear weapons. They're doing it on two fronts. And they are only weeks away. He's so having enough material to build a bomb. And he said, we will not let it happen. And he was hoping that, you know, the United States would um, take very seriously what they have said, that they won't allow Iran to have a bomb. But he was given indication, clear indication, that we might have to take action by ourselves. So I want you guys to be wise because how this is all going to pan out, I don't know. Only God knows. But we do know what the Scripture says. We do know that Iran and Russia will come together along with some of the other Islamic nations, and there will be a massive invasion on Israel. Are we seeing a prelude to that? I don't know. Are we seeing a prelude to Psalm 83? I don't know exactly. But you'd be watching, and you'd be wise. And so I think this is very significant, what's going on. And so we'll keep updating you. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said, we will not let Iran have a nuclear weapon. My responsibility is the security of our nation. So here's a little nation the size of New Jersey that is a cup of trembling and is um, to all the nations in the headlines And again, we're going to see that Israel, I believe, is going to be more isolated. And uh, we need to keep watching. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, we need to be aware of what's going on in the Middle East. So I just wanted to bring that up. I like to, on Wednesday nights, just be able to mention these things to you. um, Because I think that one of the things that I want to do as the pastor here at Calvary Chapel is always have the return of the Lord before you. And if we are ones that are truly looking for the return of the Lord, that does something. It, it affects the way that we live and how we serve Him and, and, and we're looking for Him. I don't know the day or the hour that the Lord's going to come back, but I do know this. That if I am living that today, perhaps, just maybe, that the Lord will come back for me, come back for His church, then I'm going to have a desire to live for Him. And that's why John said in his epistle, he who has this hope, what hope? The blessed hope. He who has this hope purifies himself. And so what I want to do is, is, this is tough times for us as Christians because we're living in a nation right now that we are calling evil good and we're calling good evil. And we're seeing a great decline morally and spiritually, but God is not through. Always remember that that God still wants to work, and God still wants to work in our nation. So even though it's going to be more difficult for us to stand on truth and the truth of God's word um, and without being persecuted or, or, you know, made fun of or people coming against us, it is also very exciting days to be ministering as well. And what my prayer and hope for all of us is that we would see that, that this is a generation. Could we be the last generation that is here before the rapture of the church. And what an incredible opportunity that we have to be light in this world. One of the the saddest verses in the Old Testament is what we will talk about when we get to the end of 2 Chronicles is Jeremiah, he talks about as he sees the destruction of Jerusalem and he says, summer's over. The harvest is in and we're not saved. And I think that's such a sad verse because the trumpet's going to blow and we're going to go home to be with the Lord. And there are going to be those who are going to say, summer's over. Harvest is in. And we're not saved. And then there's going to be seven years of tribulation. There's going to be great tribulation, as Jesus said, such as the world has never seen or ever will. So we want to be ones that we not only are watching, but being the faithful servant and being the witness. What my hope and prayer is, is that you would be a a light to others and that you would give them truth, that you would encourage them in the things of God and, and that we would be ones that we make priority, that, Lord, I want to be used in these days and I believe that he wants to use this church. So that's why I like to to give you a little bit of updates. And as we watch these events, we'll continue to do that um, so we can minister to others and give um, some answers to those who are saying, you know, what's going on in Middle East? What's going to happen? And what's the situation? And we can say, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. These are the days in which we're living in. And people want to know. And that they would know that their hope isn't in this world, that it's only in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you bless us. We just have a few more minutes to go over chapter 1 of Second Chronicles. That, Lord, that we would be watching and that we would be ones that desire to be used in these last days. And, Father, as we start a new book, I'm thankful that we can take time to just kind of talk about these things and, and be encouraged and blessed and reminded of what's important. We know that um, so easily we can just get caught up in the daily routine, routines and making a living and living life, and we kind of forget that um, the Lord is coming back. We don't know when exactly, but we do know that it can be at any time. And we know that we're rushing towards eternity. So, Lord, whatever we have li- left in our own lives or before you call the church home, that we would be ones that desire to be truth and light to others. Father, I do pray for for Dennis and Marcy. We thank you for them being a part of this ministry and and fellowship for so long. Lord, we thank you for their family, the blessing they have been to this community. They've been so generous and giving, and they've been a light. And and Jean, of course, has been a big part of that. And Lord, we will miss her, and this community will miss her. But Lord, we're thankful that she loved you. We know that, and um, that she's with you. And um, she's more alive than we are. But Lord, I do pray for the comfort for, for those who, particularly um, Jean's family, that is feeling the loss and the sadness in their hearts. And what my prayer is is that as a church, um, that we would help bring comfort. And Lord, that we would rally around them and encourage them. And Lord, that we would do that with each other. Whatever it is that we're going through, loss or trials or difficulties. And Father, I pray that um, right now that you just, again, give us understanding and clarity as we go through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So 2 Chronicles is just a continuation, of course, of 1 Chronicles. And as I mentioned to you, First and Second Chronicles are really a re- reiteration of what we read about in Second Samuel through 2 Kings. Here's the thing about the books of Chronicles that, as I've mentioned to you, and I just want to remind you of this, is that First and Second Chronicles only deal with the kings of Judah. First Chronicles dealt mostly with David. We saw his reign, and Chronicles doesn't deal with the kings of Israel. You recall that after the reign of Solomon that we'll see here in a few weeks that the nation split and under the reign of Jeroboam, Solomon's son. There was the ten northern tribes up north called the House of Israel, and then there was the southern kingdom called the House of Judah. So what we're going to see as we go through now Second Chronicles is we're going to see the kings of Judah from Solomon, uh, the son of David, all the way till they go into captivity. And Second Chronicles also gives us a more spiritual perspective on things. And we saw that very clearly when we went through First Chronicles with David. David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? And David was one that we see that even though he sinned, uh, he had failings, uh, he had shortcomings, David was one that never bowed the knee to an idol. He was one that desired to please the Lord and the honor of the Lord. And so what he does is he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to establish Jerusalem as a central place of worship. We also know that David would be one, that he desired to honor the Lord by wanting to build a temple. And you'll recall that the Lord came to David and said, David, you're not going to build the temple but your son Solomon is going to build the temple. But what David did is, as he is led by the Spirit of God, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 12, is that he made preparations for the temple, didn't he? He got preparations on the physical and material side of things, that is, that he began to collect the materials for the temple. When he went out to war and he took the spoils, he took the gold and silver and he dedicated those things to the Lord. We know that he made a covenant and and use Hiram uh, up there the king of Lebanon of Tyre and Sidon as he would have uh, cedar logs that would be brought to build his palace but also that we're going to see the same things going to be happened happening in building the uh, temple there's going to be those craftsmen and mason workers and and um, those who work with carpenters uh, that are very skilled that are Uh, Hiram is going to send from Lebanon down to help build the temple so David is getting all the materials ready the plans ready to go Um, all that is in place so when he dies and Solomon comes on the throne all that is ready to go but what David also did was he got the spiritual side of things ready as well so you recall that he got the Levites all organized the different families their responsibilities are changing because it's no longer the tabernacle in the wilderness as you see the Kohathites and the Maronites and, the, and the, the Gershonites those three families that had different responsibilities that you read about in the book of Numbers now this is the temple and, and there's so much more to do so he organized the Levites the musicians the gatekeepers the, the you know um, priests and all of those he, he got that all organized again being led by the spirit of God and he got the military organized as well so David was desiring to build that temple to honor God, to show that, that this is going to be a magnificent temple because we believe in a magnificent God. And that's what David's heart was. And so we, we saw that very clearly as we went through 1 Chronicles. And he has everything ready to go, so now Solomon is... As, we see the death of David, that um, really First Chronicles doesn't talk a whole lot about. And now, as we pick up uh, Second Chronicles, chapter one, verse one, Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in the kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. So, what we're going to see here is Solomon um, is the king, and in this chapter, he's going to, of course, ask for wisdom, but first our second chronicles chapter one doesn't go into the story how david's other son when david was near death at onijah he he decided i'm going to be the king and he tried to take the throne away from solomon so all of that is skipped here and now we see that solomon has ascended to the throne and you recall that david he was one that he desired to leave a godly heritage to his children a godly inheritance for the his family and also for the nation as well so david he he would plan and he charged solomon he said solomon that make sure that you follow after the lord that you keep the commandments of the lord and you be one that you serve him with a loyal heart that you may possess the good land and leave it as an inheritance to your children And David worked very hard in doing that. And I want to remind us once again, those of us who are parents or grandparents, that we want to leave an inheritance for our children, our grandchildren, don't we? We hope that at the end of our life that we have something to be able to give to them. And it is a blessing for them. And and it is something that is important to a lot of us to do that. But what is even more important is the godly heritage that we leave for them. And that's what David was doing in organizing the Levites and and, uh, making Jerusalem that central place of worship and uh, building the temple or desiring to have it ready uh, so that the nation could be blessed and the presence of the Lord would be there at the temple and they would have a place to come and do the sacrifices. And what my hope and prayer for us as well is that we would be ones that we desire to leave a godly heritage to our children, our grandchildren. And that is that we want to make priority of charging them to follow after the Lord and raising them up in the ways of the Lord. That we would pray for them and share with them about the things of the Lord and and that we would live a godly life, that they would see how God has blessed us. I hope and pray that is a priority for us as parents and grandparents and desiring to leave a godly heritage. That any of us, as we have people that are linked to us in our lives, you may not be a parent, you may be one that, um, you know, don't have children, but we can be ones that we can be a light to others. So David was a light to the nation. He was one that desired to bless the nation. Solomon, you continue to be one that you follow after the Lord, that it may be well with the nation, it may be well with your children, it may be well uh, with Uh, what God is doing and desiring to do. And so what we're going to see is that Solomon starts out well, doesn't he? But he isn't going to finish well. And what we're going to see that the nation at this time is at the height of its blessing, of its power, of its its security. But what we're going to see is that it's going to start getting bad. And we're going to see why and talk about it. And then we're going to see that it's going to go from bad to worse to where eventually they're going to go into captivity. So Solomon right now, he's young, he's ruling over Israel, he takes the throne after the death of David. In verse 2, And Solomon spoke to all Israel and the captains and thousands of hundreds, and to the judges, to every leader in all Israel and the heads of the fathers' houses. And then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, For the tabernacle meeting with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a a tent for it in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar that Bezal, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord Solomon, and the assembly sought him there. And verse 6, And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was uh, at the tabernacle meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on him. So you recall that once again, as it's told to us, that reminding us that David brought the Ark of the Covenant from Kurdath jerim put it under a tent. So at this time, there's two tabernacles of meetings. There's the one in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant is and where the Levites are and where worship is before the Lord continually day and night. We saw that in 1 Chronicles. Then there is Gibeon about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. That's where the tabernacle that Moses made in the wilderness, that tabernacle at this time is over 500 years old. And that's where the altar was, where they did the sacrifices. So those who were doing sacrifices would go to Gibeon, the the, uh, tabernacle, once the children of Israel came into the promised land, under you know the leadership of joshua that tabernacle would land in different places it was at gilgal for a while then it was at shiloh for a few hundred years and now it's at gibeon and here is solomon he's going there to sacrifice and he gives a thousand burnt offerings and as he does that it shows the abundance And, you know, that is in the nation already, how prosperous the nation is. Because Solomon is one that he is young and he's inexperienced. He's going to ask for wisdom, but he is blessed because of what his father David had done. And again, that's why we desire to leave a godly inheritance and a godly heritage to our children so that they're blessed, so they're benefited by it. And Solomon was. The nation isn't at war. The nation is prosperous right now. And so here is Solomon, he's offering a thousand, you know, animals for sacrifices here as a burnt offering. And we know that according to Leviticus chapter one, that the burnt offering was Given it was a sign of worship, a consecration to the Lord, as the animal was completely consumed on the altar, it is symbolizing how that worshiper who brought that animal, how I want to surrender completely to you. And you and I, were told in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 that we're to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, aren't we? Are we living sacrifices unto the Lord? That we are desiring to please the Lord with our lives? to to live in a way that, that, Lord, that I'm a witness to others. I want to be used by you. I want to be a living sacrifice unto you because your son Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for me on Calvary's cross and died for my sins. And because of his love for me, oh, I just want to respond in love and I want to serve him. So here is Solomon. He's doing this up at Gibeon. And we read in verse 7, And on that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? Now think about this. Here is Solomon, and God comes to him and says, What do you want, Solomon? Ask, what is it that you ask for me? And, And I'll give it to you. Now here's the thing. Really, honestly, what if God came to us tonight and asked that same question? What is it that you want? How is it that we would answer it? Solomon here, we know, most of us know the story that he's going to ask for godly wisdom, isn't he? But if the Lord was to ask us, what's one thing that you desire? What's one thing that you want from me? How would you, how would I answer that? Would it be, I want a billion dollars? Because if I can get a billion dollars, then pretty much I can get whatever else that I want. What is it that you would ask for? Would it be a certain relationship? You know, possession or position, possession, you know, prestige? What would it be, riches? Would we treat God like a cosmic genie? And unfortunately, in the prosperity movement, there are Christians that they look at God as a cosmic genie. But here is Solomon He's going to ask for wisdom. And we know that David, he answered this question, didn't he? We know that from Psalm 27. That David wrote, One thing that I desire, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold his beauty, the beauty of the Lord. The one thing that I desire more than anything else, David, who had power and prestige, David, a great administrator, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He had fame. David had strength. He was a great warrior. I mean, I think about this. David, who was just a young teenager, goes up against Goliath. and, And I was talking to somebody... About it. Here he is too young to be even in the armies of Israel, and he goes to the Valley of Elah, and he hears Goliath that is issuing this challenge, and he turns to you know, the guys that are in the Israeli you know, defense force, and he says, Are you hearing this uncircumcised Philistine defile the armies of the living God? Don't we have a cause? Don't we have a cause? Don't you and I have a cause? Because we are a part of God's army. And we're likened to soldiers for Jesus Christ. And here's David, a shepherd boy that was too young. His dad said, go and see what is going on at the front lines. Go take some food to your brothers. He says, I'll fight that giant. And he goes out there and here's Goliath, nine feet tall. He has all this armor on. He's a champion. He has a spirit that the shaft on it was like a you know weaver's beam and then the head of it's about 25 pounds now in college the shot putters that shot put is 16 pounds the guys that throw the shot puts here is goliath has a spear that's 25 pounds that he throws this guy was bad news and this guy wanted to take David down, and he cursed at David, and he said, what am I, a dog that you would send a boy out here to fight me? And David said, I'm going to lop your head off, and you're going to die today, and how dare you defile the armies of the living God? And David took a sling, and it was like a cruise missile right between his eyes, and down he went and chopped his head off. And it says that David took his head. I just pictured this little, you know, shepherd boy carrying this big old head around, and Growth scene but david was one that he took on giants and david who is an amazing individual he says one thing one thing that i desire that i will seek after that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life and to behold your beauty the beauty of the lord in other words i want fellowship with you lord i want to know you A desire to fellowship with you. Is that our hearts? Is that the one desire of our hearts, Lord, to draw closer to you and to know you more than anything else? Because always remember this, the things of this world will go away. The possessions, whatever money we have, whatever prestige, positions we have, it will all go away. And the only thing that will last is what we did for Christ. And we're going to be with him for all eternity. And so my prayer and hope is that we would say, one thing that I desire the Lord and that I will seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's, that's what I want, closeness with you, and to behold your beauty, Lord, that is study to know him more. So Solomon, he's going to answer the Lord, and Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to me, to David, my father, and, and made me king in his place. Now, the Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Now, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this great people of yours? In the account of First Kings, Solomon said that I am but a child, I'm young. Now, there's a debate among some scholars who say Solomon at this time was about 30 years old. There are others that say he was only about 15 years old. Solomon didn't have to go through what David went through. David was anointed king when he was about 13, 14 years old, and then the rest of the time he ended up being pursued by Saul. He didn't become king. We know, as the scripture says, till he was 30 years old. He was king for 40 years. He died at the age of 70. So Solomon here is young. How young he is, we don't know. But he said, I'm inexperienced. I don't know my coming in and my going out. I need wisdom. We need wisdom, don't we, especially in the day in which we're living in. We need wisdom in, in, in every area of our lives because there is two kinds of wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. And the worldly wisdom out there doesn't line up with godly wisdom. And the worldly wisdom is foolishness and will lead you astray. And as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, you are going to be cheated by worldly wisdom. And it's going to deceive you. So we want wisdom. We need wisdom, especially in the days in which we're living in. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Because wisdom is more than just knowledge. Solomon is going to have both. He's going to have great knowledge and he's going to have great wisdom. But godly wisdom is knowing the ways of the Lord, knowing the heart of the Lord, knowing the word of the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just knowing it. But are we applying it? And Solomon had great wisdom. The wisdom of God is what he's known for. But as we continue in this chapter, we're going to see that he didn't apply that wisdom in his life. Let's continue reading verse 11. As then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have asked, uh, not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked a long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. In other words, what he was saying, that I want to be a godly king, to rule over this nation that is a great nation, Lord. I want to be a godly man, I hope that guys that were saying, Lord, I want to be a, a, a godly woman, ladies that you're saying. I want to be a godly mother, I want to be a godly wife, I want to be a godly dad, I want to be a godly you know, husband, whatever it might mean for us. And we need God's wisdom to be able to do that. Again, knowing God's way, knowing his heart, knowing the word of God, and then having it worked out in our lives and applying it in our lives. So I want to be a godly king. And, and the Lord said, I like that, Solomon. I like that. And wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, verse 12, and I'll give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who, have, who were, um, had who were before you, nor shall any after you have like, and so you're going to have because you desire this for yourself you didn't ask anything for yourself we know that God would bless Solomon with great riches and then as we read in verse 13 so Solomon came to Jerusalem from the high place that was at Gibeon and before the tabernacle meeting and reigned over Israel and Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen and he had 1,400 chariots 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of uh, Jerusalem. And also the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keveh. And the king's merchants b- uh, bought them in Keveh at the current price. And he also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So we're beginning to see the great wealth that Solomon would have. And it's interesting here, it says that he multiplied silver, he made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones there in verse 15, like rocks. Now those of us who have been to Jerusalem, there's a lot of rocks in Jerusalem, There's a lot of stones. Can you imagine silver and gold multiplied so much that it's common like rocks? That's what we're talking about. Great, great wealth here that Solomon had. So Solomon asked for wisdom, and it interests me that Second Chronicles, again, the emphasis on the spiritual perspective on things, before chapter 1 is over, is telling us that Solomon would multiply gold and silver and Solomon would multiply horses. He got chariots. He paid for you know, a very expensive chariot there in Egypt and a horse. We know that Solomon also would multiply what? Wives. A thousand wives and concubines. In Deuteronomy chapter 17... We know that the Lord said when you guys go into the promised land when you ask for a king there are three things that the king is not to multiply. One is wives. One is gold and silver. The other is horses. And Solomon ended up multiplying all three. Two of them are mentioned here. You remember that when David did battle with the the Syrians and he would defeat them. What did it say that he did to the horses? He burned you know, the chariots that the horses were pulling and then he hamstrung the horses so they couldn't be used in battle. And the reason that David did that, you would think, David, why didn't you grab the chariots and the horses? You would have had just this great army. David would write in Psalm chapter 20 that some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David was one that said, we're going to trust in the Lord. We're not going to trust in horses. We're not going to trust in chariots. Joshua was the same way when he defeated the Canaanite tribes. As he went into the promised land and was defeating them, he took the chariots and burned them and hamstrung the horses so they couldn't be used in battle. And here is Solomon. He had horses. He multiplied horses. You can go to Israel today and you can see the, the remains of Solomon's stables that he had all over the nation. Some of those stables held 400 horses it would be kind of equivalent today if somebody had a warehouse full of 400 luxury cars and that would be in one spot and solomon had these stables all over the country that they've unearthed and excavated so here is solomon that he goes against the word of the lord a man that is known for wisdom He had knowledge. We know that as we're going to read on that he was a biologist and and had great knowledge. He, He used great wisdom. The people marveled, but he didn't apply it in his life. And here's what I want to leave you with tonight. That sometimes, even as Christians, as we're growing in the Lord, we know the scriptures, we think, well, okay, Lord, I'm not going to apply this one principle, this one truth, this one command to my life. And then we think that we're not going to experience negative consequences or the repercussions of ignoring God's word. We think that we're exempt from it somehow. Somehow Solomon thought, okay, I got great riches. It's okay if I multiply gold, horses, and wives. I won't experience any consequences of it. And he did because his wives, foreign wives, many of them, would lead him into what? Idol worship. And it wasn't just a little bit of idol worship. This... He would enter into gross idol worship to where they'd end up worshiping the gods that would sacrifice their own children in the arms of those idols. He was burning incense and building temples to them. So it affected him in a negative way. And here's the thing to remember, that when God gives us a principle and a truth and a command in Scripture, because he loves us and he wants what's best for us, and I pray that we would not be foolish and say, well, that does not apply to me, Lord. In this area or this particular truth that you're given to me, I'm going to ignore it. Wisdom is saying that there's security and safety in applying your word. And sometimes some of the things that the Lord tells us to do is not easy, is it? Like when He tells us to forgive and not become bitter and continue in anger. We have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I know what your word says, but to ignore it and say, I'm not going to do it. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is when we have a commandment of the Lord, his commandments are also his enablements. He will enable what he has called us to do. The commandments that he's given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit, he'll enable us to do it. You see, I can tell you what to do. I can read God's word to you in whatever situation that you're facing, but I can't give you the power to do it. But God does, and that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. Lord, I need help in this area in applying it to help me give up this sin, to help me not be going in that direction that I think that I need to go, and I know that you're telling me not to, uh, not to be involved in this sin, not to be pulled into carnality, not to have a bitter heart, to continue in anger, an attitude of a heart that's wrong. And the Lord desires to help you to live for Him. But don't ignore it. David would ignore what God said. He multiplied wives and had a tremendous negative effect on his family. And Solomon was the same way. The gold that he multiplied—interesting—that under the reign of Solomon's son, that the Egyptians came and took some of that gold away. They plundered Jerusalem, and we know that the horses ended up dying out. Solomon would write a book, Ecclesiastes. You've read the book, many of you, and he would say all that stuff—the riches of the world and the ways of the world—it's all vanity. And here's the sum of the conclusion, that is fear God and keep His commandments. You see, God wants us to follow after Him, to fear Him, that is to know Him, to reverence Him, Lord, You are good, and to follow after Him because that's all part of that abundant life that He has for you and for me. And in those times where we say, Lord, I need Your help, in the honesty of Your heart, when you go to the Lord, He's going to be there to help you, to strengthen you, and to enable you. So Father, we thank you for this time and tonight and chapter one and as we begin this incredible book and Lord, as we talk about godly wisdom, what my prayer is that all of us would desire to walk in wisdom and Lord, how we need your help in that. We can't do it on our own. You're not telling us to grit our teeth and you know have a stiff upper lip, but Lord, it causes us to surrender ourselves to you. So Father, what my prayer is is that you would help us be the men and the women of God that you've called us to be. To be a light, to walk in your ways. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And we know that that abundant life comes by a life that's surrendered to you. And Father, what my prayer is here tonight, first of all, is that I know there are some that are out in a coffee shop and uh, those of us here if there by chance is anyone that is here tonight that has not surrendered their heart to you that we can't walk in godly wisdom unless we are ones that come and ask Jesus into our hearts as the lord and savior jesus is our only hope he's our salvation he's found nowhere else and as we talk about being a living sacrifice living for the lord we can't until we realize that Jesus, He was a literal sacrifice for every single one of us as He went to Calvary's cross. And He died for our sins and He died for your sin specifically. And Jesus is going to come back as we talked about tonight. And He has a place that He's prepared for you if you give your life to Him. Bible says that today is the day of salvation eternity is real and to come into right relationship with God is a heart that says that I'm a sinner and I need the Savior of the world Jesus who died for me there's no other salvation no one else died for you no one else rose from the grave no one else conquered sin and death only Jesus Christ did for you that you might spend eternity with him So if that means anything to anyone here tonight, you can have the promise of eternal life as you pray in your heart right where you're sitting. That Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me, a sinner. You died for my sins. You bore my sins upon yourself as you hung on that cross for me. I believe that with my heart. Forgive me of my sins and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you were put into a grave and you rose again and you're alive. You brought me here tonight. You're knocking on the door of my heart. I now let you in. And thank you for hearing my prayer. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you sincerely prayed that prayer, if anybody tonight did, then welcome to the family of God. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would have a heart for you, tender and soft before you to be a light and a witness to those who are linked to us in our lives we have opportunity to talk to Lord be with and Father I pray that we would leave this place with a gladness of heart and a desire to continue on even tonight before we go to bed to give you thanks to Lord to just draw close to you before we go to sleep Fill everyone here with your love and with your joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.